Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Pox with Ags is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. And welcome into another episode of the Pucks with Hags podcast. I believe this is our 21st episode, so congrats to continuing on this journey with us as we go through the hockey landscape. I'm lucky to have 98.5's Ty Anderson with uh, me today, a man for all seasons, a man that's very bored like I am right now because the Bruins seem to put out the news in clusters and then go silent for weeks at a time. So he's suffering along with the rest of us media whores. But before we get to Ty, I just want to say really quickly, thanks to our sponsors, FanDuel Sportsbook. We always thank them and uh, we'll have a new read uh, from them uh, because football season is coming and all the, the betting people are coming out for football with Sportsbook. But let's get back to the hockey right now. And Ty, what, uh, how high is your level of boredom right now after the arbitration stuff has all come out? with uh, Swayman and Frederick, and there's really uh, tumbleweeds blowing through Bruins news uh, items right now. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's got to be probably a 7 out of 10, uh, I, I would say. <laughs> Strong say, 7. Yeah, and I say that because, like, we can do things, you know, like next week we'll probably do some deeper dives into some of the guys they've brought in and, you know, who could maybe grab a spot that you're maybe not thinking of. But ultimately, yeah, like the juice is over, you know, like the stuff that's going to really power you through the offseason – you know, the cap situation that we talked about, it seems like they've escaped that relatively unscathed. And I mean, Taylor Hall is what he is, right? That is a loss. Let's not, let's not, you know, get that too twisted here, but yep. it really appears that it's going to be Taylor Hall. And then they're going to have to, you know, run with two extra bodies instead of three, uh, you know, yep. for in terms of the regular season. So it's like, all right, well, there's that, you know, there was that whole kind of idea that they were going to have this massive sweeping change uh, this summer. And it really looks like it's just one player off the roster and then one fewer body uh, sitting up in the press box as, as a healthy scratch. And one the one player turned into five other players that you've right. added to the roster, right? You've, you've transferred the one, you now have five uh, small horses attacking you instead of one big horse uh, based on, uh, you know, the, the, the metaphors that people always use. Uh, would you rather have one giant chicken attacking you or, you know, <laughs> five, five small chickens. Um, but like, you're right. I get the sense that they aren't going to be doing much else here either. You know, like we've heard rumors about like, you know, and obviously we look at the center position right now and that we'll get to this later in the show, but you look at that and I think they may decide at some point this year that they need an upgrade and, you know, maybe we see something down the road uh, once the season starts, but I think they, they've got to look at Zaka and Coil and see what they have and get a read on that for a little while. But getting back to the um, arbitration hearings, um, four point seven five million or three point four three point four seven five million for Jeremy Swayman one year, and then two point three million for two years for Trent Frederick. I thought um, as soon as the Ilya Samsonov uh, hearing came down, decision came down, 
3.5 million, extremely similar numbers to swim and very comparable, even if they couldn't use that in an arbitration hearing. I think you, you could tell that's where the arbiters were going with, you know, goalies that had numbers like that. And it's uh, likewise, Philip Kirishev, when his deal came down arbitration with the Chicago Blackhawks, very comparable numbers, even if they're different players to Trent Frederick. So he signs for just a touch more than Kirishev got. Um, it seemed like, you know, we knew for a good week, 10 days, what was going to come down here. And basically the Bruins carved enough money out to, to afford both of them. They read it correctly too, as to what the market was going to be for those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think a big thing, honestly, with, with Trent Frederick was that I think if the Bruins could have gone longer at that number, they would have, I, I think that was sort of the the vibe that I got heading into those negotiations and hearing about them and, and listening to people talk about them was that, the Bruins would have probably liked to go four or five years, but with the salary yep. cap expected to explode, there's probably Trent Frederick's camp is saying, no, no, we're not going to sign, you know, for a long-term deal now because Trent Frederick, if he continues to score at the rate he did last year, and maybe let's say he works into the power play, a power play a little bit more or moves yep. to center, you know, he could make more money. So I, I think that that number is a fair number for him. That was the contract that I really didn't know where they were going to go with it. And then you, as you mentioned, you have the Kurashev award. So you're thinking, okay, it's going to be around there. But up until that point, you would ask around, people would say, Oh, Frederick's worth 1.75. He's worth 2.5. Someone told me they thought he was worth three and a half at one point. I was <laughs> like, wow. You know, like, yeah. like he's a guy who's just, his value is hard to nail down because you don't know what it was last year. If that was just, you know, riding the high of a great team being on an all-time team, or if he finally found his footing as a potential yeah. budding power forward in this league. So in high shooting percentage, let, let's be honest. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing, right. But like, you kind of looked at what he did and, you know, this kind of comes back to how you feel about advanced metrics, metrics and what have you, but you look at the guys he played with, they all got worse without him. So you're looking at that and saying, yeah. okay, is he, you know, is, is he kind of just a space creator that is is benefiting everybody? Right. And those guys can be worth a lot of money, you know, depending on the team. So 2.3, I, I like that. It's fair. It allows both sides to kind of figure out what they have here without that contract being an albatross. If a $2.3 million contract is an albatross, then you have much greater problems, I think. And so I think that's how you have to feel if you're a Bruins fan. You know, seeing that contract, it's fair value. Now come seeing if he can do that again. And and I kind of have my doubts there, but I think he be, he will be worth about $2 million. Yeah. And, and I'm curious to see too, like what he's going to learn and how he, what ways he will improve having Milan Lucic around for a year, a guy that I think he can learn a ton from and a guy that he should be playing even more like that kind of player than he has to this point in his career. And if he wants to make a lot more money and stick around the Bruins for a long time, I think he continues to have to, you know, sort of learn from a player like that and and see how he does it and incorporate some of those things, maybe even a little bit more into his game. And maybe that, allows him to unlock even more and improve uh, even more to your point about the longer term deal. Like they were, if they were going to buy out free agent UFA years from him, they were going to have to spend more money. It was going to be a higher AAV for sure. If they were going to go into that territory, you know, for four or five, uh, the price definitely goes up when you start buying out UFA years. So, I mean, I'm sure there was some hesitancy on the Bruins side to go much higher than that with their number two not knowing exactly what he's going to turn into, you know, like having the questions that we have about, is this what he is? Is that the best we're ever going to see him this past year? Or is he starting to continue to develop into an even better player at, you know, 24, 25 years old? My, my question is like, what kind of Kool-Aid uh, 
where the Swayman representatives drinking when they put in $4.85 million uh, as his number, which was way higher <laughs> than what the Bruins put in. That, that's a pretty wide gap for arbitration. You don't see too many that are that like distantly apart uh, between the two sides. You know, obviously he was looking for something close to what Olmark is making. And maybe that was some of the thinking there, but like, yeah, read the, read the tea leaves. You're not even close. If, if he got awarded that kind of number, that's the only scenario I think where they might've had to trade him or somebody else because he would have put them in such a bad spot by winning that kind of an award that they would have had to make another move. Right. I, I was saying, I was entering this saying that if you can get them for under $9 million, that's a win. Right. And, and I feel that way because of what they lack at the center position, right. That you're going to have to win games, probably a little bit uglier, you know, three to two, two yep. to one. And if you have the best tandem in the league and both guys who, in my opinion, have kind of proven that they need the other one to succeed over the course of 82 games. I don't think either goaltender is equipped to play 60 games. I, I, I just don't. I know that Swayman, you know, they, they, they think, oh, he can do it. Well, it's nice to know it, you know, right. b- before you have to figure it out, right? And so the Allmark trade market, I'm not sure what you had heard on it, but I heard that it never really materialized. It yes. needed, it needed uh, you know, other moves to happen, and then it needed signing off, obviously, with this no trade clause, and that wasn't happening. So the goalie, the goalie market trade wise, didn't really open up at all. Like it was a lot of talk about this, like tons of goalies moving around, Connor Hellebuck, Linus Allmark, like this all kinds of movement, and it didn't end up happening. And, and part of the reason it doesn't happen more uh, with goalies, especially, is because they just don't command as much value as other players around the league. There's there is the view of goaltenders around the NHL, I believe. Like there's the view of relief pitchers in major league baseball that you can find a lot of guys to come in and do that job. And it's a matter of hitting on the right guy at the right time that pops and has a great year, has a couple of really good years, but there are a lot of people you could go out and put in that position that might do that, you know, and then they can't sustain it too. Like they have a good right. year or two, you ride it out. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're not able to sustain that. I, you know, I, I love Linus Elmark as a goalie. He showed me a ton last year and I think he's a talented guy but I don't know that uh, I think I'm ever going to see him win the Vesna trophy again, uh, you know, after the year that he had. And I certainly think at this point we can make the determination definitely with Linus Allmark to your point, he's not a 60, 70 game in an NHL season guy. He's not that kind of workhorse that's going to be able to stay healthy, maintain what he's able to do performance wise uh, and really carry your team. And, and, you know, he doesn't even look like he can be that guy in the playoffs, right. That can continue to perform every other day at an extremely high level as well. And you really got to factor that into like his value, how much you're paying him, like all that stuff. I, I'm still open-minded to Swayman turning into that kind of a guy. I think he, he may be able to, we'll see. Um, and I think he deserves to get that chance at some point. So I was on the bandwagon of, of trading Allmark if you could, but to, exactly what you're saying. I just don't think they were ever going to get any kind of value for him and ha- waiting until after July 1st when it was a little easier to trade him just like killed any chance of doing it as well. Yeah. And the other part of that too, I think that is worth noting is that, you know, to your point, as you mentioned, comparing it to relief pitchers, you know, it, it doesn't help the Bruins necessarily that three of the last five Stanley cup winning goaltenders have been just, you know, what you would say is a guy versus the right. guy. The Aiden Hills of the world. Right. Biddington, <laughs> yeah. Kemper, yes. Aiden Hill, Vasilevsky is the outlier now, you know, yep. like, and, and it's great if you have that guy, but if you don't, I mean, look at, look at what teams are spending right now on goaltending. I mean, I think, I think the Bruins can take a little bit of comfort in the fact that three of the teams ahead of them in goaltending spending right now are the Florida Panthers, the Tampa Bay lightning, 
And, well, granted, Vasilevsky is eating up like 95% of that, but you know what I right. mean. And right. then also Vegas, depending on what happens with Robin Lehner here, if he if he is able to come back, if he's able to play, now they have a $9.9 million tandem. So there, there's there's positives and negatives to be found within what the Bruins have in net right now. The greatest negative, though, is, is being that, you know, they, they, they didn't commit to the tandem in the playoffs. The tandem costs more money now, and you're not getting proper value for trading a member of that tandem right now in 2023 with the trade market being the way it is. So those are the negatives. The, the positive is that they are a very good tandem for 82 games. And when you don't have a first round pick and you don't have great centers right now or, or high end centers like Patrice Bergeron, They'll get you there. I'm confident that this tandem will get them to the playoffs, regardless of what of the other losses they've had, the changes they're going to make. That yep. tandem is good enough to sneak them into the playoffs, in my opinion. But the question becomes, what do they do in the playoffs? And can right. they continue what they've done in the regular season in the playoffs? Do you have to go strictly to a tandem in the playoffs where you're playing one every other game? Do you dare ever try to ride either one of them? And I, and I you know, once again, I I feel like Swayman has not gotten the chance yet to, you know, start a bunch of playoff games in a row and sort of get the ball and say, here you go. Like, we're just going to run with you and you're our guy and we're going to see how good you can be. I like, I think he deserves to have that chance before he's sort of shoehorned into a, yeah, these guys have to go back and forth every game and we're just going to do it like we do in the regular season in the playoffs. Whereas I think with Omar, I've kind of made that I, – I, you know, I, I think we talked in the podcast uh, a few episodes ago about Hampus Lindholm and still not being fully certain that the guy that we saw in the playoffs is the guy we're always going to see in the playoffs and not saying that, you know, he's not a playoff performer and making ju- snap judgments on what we saw in that series against uh, Florida and also him getting hurt the year before against Carolina. I'm a little more ready to make a snap judgment on Elmark that I'm not sure he is your guy in the playoffs uh, over a long period of time. And he's just not a guy that's going to be able to, you know, play the entire run for two months uh, for a playoff team. And he's going to need somebody like Swayman at the very least, and maybe even start the other guy to go, you know, Swayman next time around the playoffs and see what he can do, you know, a, a few games in a row. But I've, I've started to cement my take on Elmark as a playoff goalie. And it's, it's not the most complimentary take in the world. Yeah, I wish that we would get some clarity on what happened. You know, I thought they were all being very weird about his injury. If there was an injury, how limited was he? It felt like everybody, the player, the coach, and the organization themselves were all very guarded about the situation. Now, was that because they were going to try to trade him? I'm not sure. But now we're in August. I I have to imagine he's going to be the goaltender, you know, with Jeremy Swayman come September when camp opens. It would be nice to know exactly what happened and how limited he was, because, you know, it's if if he were playing through, let's just say like a a high ankle sprain or he had a partially torn groin or something. Now that Lindholm argument is almost a little bit open for Linus as well. That's true. That's true. It's just, I wish they were a bit more transparent about what exactly went wrong. Uh, and yeah, to your point about Swayman, I hate that they've started him when they're down 0-2 against yes. Carolina. <laughs> and throw him in game, game seven. seven. <laughs> I mean, come on. You got to put yeah. the kid in a good spot. And, yeah. and it's tough for me because I have to sit here and say, Jeremy Swayman's playoff numbers are not that great. He has a 901 save percentage. He's, he has a losing record. However, He's never been put in a great spot, in my opinion. So that's obviously something that, listen, if they keep these guys together, like I said, I'm all about it. But when the playoffs come, you got to rotate them. I've seen it now. I've seen it now. You got to rotate them. You have a good thing. Don't abandon it in games one and two if it serves you well for games one through 82. Yeah, and absolutely. I agree. And and I think you you do 
at least have to start the next playoff doing that, right? And and be consistent with what you did and got you success during the regular season into the playoffs. And if things start to go wonky or sideways, then you can make adjustments once you get there. But I agree. I I think they one of the lessons learned from this past playoff was that they should as much as they can copy what has was very successful during the regular season and do the exact same thing in, in the playoffs. Um, you know, the one thing I would say about Omar's injury is like uh, the only sort of clarity we got was an almost eye rolling comment from Don Sweeney about it, not being as debilitating as whatever Patrice Bergeron was playing. Right, through. Right. So like that, was that, that tells you that I'm not sure it's like, you know, all, yeah. it was all that serious or it was something that like, you know, he was, you know, setting a record Guinness book records of toughness by playing through um, when he did in the playoffs. So like that kind of the the reaction that Sweeney gave when he talked about that kind of answered that question for me as to, you know, can we, can we say that this was something that wasn't that much worse than anything else that anybody else was playing with? So um, concern about the 22 roster uh, NHL roster uh, format uh, for the season because of salary cap, circumstances i certainly don't have much of it's like ian mitchell you go down to the minors and we put we have a seventh defenseman and and we have 13 forwards like i think that's really all you need and then you know once injuries happen during the regular season the salary cap uh may open up a little bit and you can you know move some things around but like i really for for all the hue and cry about the salary cap and it going to be a major effect that was going to be a problem like signing swayman signing frederick like doing whatever they had to do if it really comes down to not having a full complete 23 man roster by one player, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty minor on the scale. Right. And you gotta be happy or, or you don't gotta be happy, but a guy like Jake Saboral has gotta be happy saying, yes. Oh wow. I can actually play. If, if some guy's coming out, I'm not getting bumped down for Anton Strahlman or, or Connor Clifton, Dmitry Orlov, you know, whoever flavor of the month it is, he's probably going to play more than what, five times after Thanksgiving uh, this year, based on this current con- uh, current roster construct. It's really interesting though, to see what, what it means for, you know, maybe some players who are on the fringes, some guys who met, might need waivers, you know, AJ Greer, Jacob Loco, uh, Jesper Boquist, uh, Patrick Brown, like you go up and down the list that you got a lot of guys fighting for some spots here. And I do wonder if there will be an element of sort of what they did with training camp last year, where Nick Felino, Mike Riley, uh, those guys were waived and yep. they were called up, but it allowed them to have those, those sort of paper transactions that allowed them to maximize their cap space. Yep. Uh, a, a, a guy that I wonder about with that is Derek Forbert. I know that he has a solidified role here, but $3 million for a guy who's on your bottom pairing, you, you know, like that, that's what spelled the end for Mike Riley, you, you know, a year ago. And not to say that Forbert's going to get banished down to the minors, but is no. he a guy that they wave and try to make, maybe maximize the dollar? I mean, this is sort of what Evan Gold is brought in to do. And I think it's why they gave him a promotion last year, you know, yep. to manage that daily cap because it, it can be a headache. But that bottom of the roster has a lot of room for a lot of movement. Um, you know, I think more so than the 23-man roster. That's what I'm looking at is, is how do they maximize every dollar? Because opening with $400,000 $400, in cap space is not ideal, right? So, right. What other moves are made to maximize that dollar? I'm I'm dying to know. That's what is really intriguing to me, I think, based on how this roster is kind of shaking out right now. Yeah, I, I think guys like AJ Greer, Patrick Brown, Derek Forbord, I think all of them could see it could be another like 
uh, bloody Sunday where there's a bunch of guys like right before the season starts, like put on waivers, even if they're not going down to Providence, just for the flexibility you're talking about. And, you know, to be able to send them down at any point over the first month, if they need to, without, you know, having to worry about it as well, uh, if they want to bring some young guys up, depending on how those guys are playing. I, I think that's just life in the salary cap era now, especially for guys like that, that are kind of, you know, fourth line, bottom six forwards or bottom pairing defensemen. The one thing I would say about forward is, and in comparison to Mike Riley, he's a much more valuable player than Mike Riley was, or um, as far as the role he plays, what he does, like his job on the penalty kill, they, they have, they, when he gets hurt, they struggle on the penalty kill. They miss him in a big way. So he at least does something that I think would hurt them tangibly if he wasn't there. And, and, you know, I don't know that they have a lot of players in Providence that could come up and play that role and and be a shot blocker, be a big body around the net, be a guy that's going to be effective on the penalty kill. And I think that in the end may save him uh, more than it did for a guy like Riley, who was, you know, an okay defenseman, decent puck mover, had some offensive skills, but at the end of the day was kind of just another guy, you know, as far as defensemen go. Um, But I, I agree with you. I think he's not, not valuable enough that he's not going to get put in a situation like that. And the, the question becomes, if he does get put on waivers, would a guy like that be taken? And I think maybe he would because of some of the values that and things that he brings to the table for another team that maybe does have a little cap space and could use a guy like that for $3 million. So that'll, that'll be an interesting one to watch because they do sometimes put guys out there that you know, may get claimed if they're not too careful. Yeah, and and to your point, you know, with Forbert, I know there's a sect, uh, there's a group of you know Bruins fans that really dislike Derek Forbert. You know, the the numbers are ugly, and they don't believe in that kind of defense. Guy, let's be honest, it's the fancy stats people. They hate the stay at home yeah. defenseman, shot blocking, penalty killing defenseman. They don't seem to realize that you need those guys to win in the playoffs and win during the regular season, even if their stats aren't pretty, even if they're of course he's bad, and you know they're not bringing much offense to the table. Listen, you, you I, need I, those I, guys. I'm a classic. I I like analytics and I like what my eyes tell me. Yes. What my eyes what my eyes tell me with Derek Forbert is that I would much rather him suffer the broken finger, the broken hand, the versus Hampus Lindholm or Charlie McAvoy. And yes. I think that's where <laughs> that's the value true. is in that role. And I don't mean that like in yes. a mean way. I don't want him to break his hand. I don't want him to break <laughs> his fingers. But if a guy's gonna do it, I'd rather be him than than someone you need to play 23, 24 minutes a night. Ty, think about how sad his dog would be if he broke his finger. Come on. Hey, have, have a heart, will you? Take, take, take care of the dog every day. Don't gotta get a, a dog sitter. He'll be home. So I get it. I get it. But yeah, I mean, I, I just that's you know, this is yeah, to your point, it's it's life in the salary cap era. I know guys don't like it, you know, but if you can be a, a Nick Felino over it you know that's great because he was like yeah i get it he wasn't you know it it, everyone handles it differently but um that's something that i i'm just i'm curious to know how they do this because i can't see them going in and saying yeah four hundred thousand space is good for us like they're gonna try to find a way to maximize that it's just about how they do it yeah they will and they don't want to get a situation where they're so far backed into a corner salary cap wise during the season that like they have to like dress 11 forwards or 12, uh, you know, like nightmare, nightmare five defensemen yeah. or whatever, or not be able to bring up a goalie if somebody gets hurt and you have to bring in uh, the Zamboni driver, one of the bull gang crew to be a goalie uh, or, or our buddy uh, Keith Seguia would probably be our, I was going to say, yeah, Cooper, as Keith long as the home Segui. game, he's there. <laughs> yes. And I, like, shout out to Keith Seguia, right? Like the guy was, practice goalie for the Boston Bruins is one of been one of the e-bugs that we always see up on the ninth floor hanging around. Cause they have them now every single game uh, ready break glass for emergency that that guy can come down and jump on the ice and be the emergency goalie. And you gotta be, give credit to any guy 
that uh, took a char, a slap shot off the cup that broke his cup. And now the guy actually, when he goes on the ice and is the emergency goalie for practice, wears two cups. Like he's, <laughs> and that was a tip he got from other pro goalies that they all wear two cups now, just to extra protection, just in case. Man. But Chara famously broke his cup with a slap shot during practice and then took the broken pieces, signed them and put them in a box and gifted it back to Keith Sagi. So thank you very much, your, uh, your e-bugness. But uh, as much as I love the e-bug story, and I, I think you and I would be salivating to write like that kind of a feature story on a player like that if it did happen for the Bruins, I, I don't want to see them get into a salary cap position where they have to use a guy like that. Right, right, exactly. And you, you, you heard those stories about Toronto and New York and Colorado all last year. Teams that had addressed yeah. under eighteen skaters, and, and that's just a bad. It's a bad precedent to set. You don't want to run yourself into that kind of corner. There, it's a competitive uh, and, disadvantage. You never want exactly. to give your team that. No way. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then you, you basically when you do that, you're watching an entire sixty minute game with bated breath, saying please not another injury, please no one get hurt. Cause now then you're down to four defensemen or, or nine forwards, whatever the case may be like, so maintaining flexibility. And I think that's something that a lot of people, I, I don't think have kind of seen the full picture of. And no, I agree. When they talk about like Tyler Bertuzzi, you know, you got to do that. Yeah, they could have, but then they would have had what $32 in cap space to begin the year. That's not a right. sustainable model. And nor is trading guys and having to attach prospects and picks to it picks that you already don't have, by the way, just to get in a roster that has a hundred thousand in cap space, you need to maintain flexibility. And I think the writing was on the wall, even before we kind of knew about the the cap penalties and how bad the market was going to be. Don Sweeney said, we are entering this summer prioritizing financial flexibility, however we can maintain it. So for them to go bargain bin hunting, it shouldn't surprise you. If you were paying attention in April and May, you saw this coming. You knew it was coming. Even at the trade deadline, when, when they went into the LTIR to add Bertuzzi, you should have known this was coming. So I, I think if it's August and you're still saying you hate the Bruins offseason, wh- what do you want them to do? This is this is the hole that they dug themselves going all in. They didn't win it. Yes. This is the consequence, right? So well, that's, that's the pain that's going to continue for Bruins fans on into the regular season, watching a team that they – probably no is not going to win the cup even i think they're going to be a playoff team but like definitely not a cup contender as constituted right now in my opinion anyway even if that i think they're going to be a playoff team and that's the realization you're going to have watching this year is like you basically cost this year too based on last year going for it and not winning and flaming out in the first round and it's going to continue that pain for bruins fans uh into this season which we all love to hear Bruins fans in pain and crying and whining on Twitter. And we're going to, we're going to hear a lot of Don Sweeney, you suck. You shouldn't have done that last year on Twitter uh, and social media this entire season. Um, all right. One more quick thing before we get into the sort of meat of the the three center uh, centers and how good the center position is for the Bruins. Uh, Murph, I think on Boston hockey now uh, had a source telling him that uh, David Krejci is retired uh, or is going to retire officially, except for maybe playing in the world championships for Czechia next, you know, late spring, early summer. Uh, Not surprised. Um, I would have been very surprised if he, you know, played anywhere, played with Boston or anybody else at the beginning of this year. I'd be very surprised if he's going to do anything over the course of a full season anymore, because last year he, you know, his family, his kids and wife were in South Carolina and he was in Boston and didn't see them for long stretches at a time. So uh, not, not surprising at all. And, uh, you know, sort of if it, if it closes the book on on his career with the Boston Bruins, 
like just how do you view it uh, aside with the Patrice Bergeron retirement announcement that we got a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a guy who I think was at times underrated and overrated at the same time. And when I say overrated, I mean in terms of perhaps the expectations that people put on him. Like, he was never going to be a 100-point guy if you no. watched him. Like, he, he just wasn't that kind of guy. And when he had that salary, people were like, he should be this guy. It's like, he's not that guy. Like, I, I like he makes his line mates better. His line makes, his line mates make him better. Like he, he was never going to be the focal point of a franchise. So I hated that, you know, people would kind of say to him like, Oh, like or not sit to him, but in general, like he's making 7.25 million, you know, he's got to be this, this and that. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, some of its parts kind of thing with David Creech. It's how I always felt Uh playoff assassin though. Back in 2011, 2013, I thought he was fantastic. You go back to 2012, uh, when he's injured with the pane of glass bonks him in the head, they yes. lose the series. He wasn't such he a wasn't weird thing. It was so that bizarre. was such a weird thing. <laughs> and, but a, a guy who I I really I enjoyed his candor. I enjoyed how yep. direct and blunt he was. Um, a little thing about him that I don't think people realize, and maybe I made this up, but it felt like if you wronged him on the ice, he hated you forever. Like it felt like he hated TJ Oshie because TJ Oshie can custom back in 2010 yes. and he just yep. hated him for the rest of his career. He just, he hated this guy. And I think he never liked Thomas Placanics because of Placanics and he was like the, the Czech darling and crazy. like, no, no, I am like, I'm the good, I'm the best Czech center. It felt like they yeah. had a little bit of a feud there. He's like, get out of here with your turtleneck Placanics. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I liked him a lot. You know, he's one of these guys too, that I feel like when we're older, uh, we're going to talk about what a great player he was kind of like how like the older generation talks to people like me. I, I don't know. Like you might be in the tweener here, but like people tell me what a great player Wayne Cashman was. Right. And what mm-hmm. a great player Rick Middleton was and how like I missed those boats. And I was like, yeah, I wasn't around for that. Like, I feel like Creechy might be our version of that, you know, at 20 years from now, honestly. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, you know, I, I loved his candor. I loved his honesty. You're right about like, he would, I think make quick decisions on line mates, uh, people he was on the power play with. Like he wasn't afraid to tell guys, I want the puck here. You need to do this, like direct traffic and and order guys to do things. Like he was a guy that was in charge when he was on the ice and in those kind of situations. Um, but he, I, I think when you look back at this era of uh, Bruins greatness and this era of playoffs, division titles, a Stanley cup title, all that stuff, at the end of the day, the team structure was at its simplest core. The foundation of this team was the two frontline centers at, on the roster that you built around. It was Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci being able to play in all situations, being able to play big minutes, being solid in their end, solid in the offensive zone, You know, making their teammates around them better. They did it in very different ways, obviously. Uh, Krejci was more of a playmaker, a little more cerebral, but like, the sauce passes, the the vision on the ice, like his shot got better. I thought as he got older and more into his career and he got a little more dangerous as a scoring threat, uh, the more it went on, but like all of that stuff made him uh, such a good second line center. That was okay. Being a second line center too. And letting Patrice Bergeron, you know, get a, a lion's share of the credit, the leadership, like all that stuff. It says something about Krejci that he was able to be sort of the wingman with uh, Bergeron uh, and, you know, let him, get a lot more of the limelight for, for the time that they had together. But he was the guy that really stepped up in the playoffs and elevated his game scoring wise. And, you know, was, was as big as anybody else in them winning in 2011. So uh, if it is it for him, which I truly believe it is like, uh, I, 
I, I loved watching him as a player. I loved getting to know him as a person. And I, I'm going to miss uh, the way he would answer questions and the, the, the honest way he would like, if I was looking for an honest answer, answer about something and, and get the real pulse of what was going on in the dressing room. Like that was the guy I would talk to about something. Oh yeah. And oftentimes he would surprise. I, I remember one time he, he like, <laughs> he crushed Claude Julian. Like he was mad at him um, for uh, I think it was the, I think it was 2012. And I think it was when he, um, for a little while, I think he was on the third line that year, towards the end of the year. It was one of those seasons. Did they move him to wing? Was that? Yeah, they did that? a bunch of stuff. Yeah. They did a few things. And like, <laughs> I caught him at the right time. And like, I think the breakup day, and he's really started telling me what he thought. And then a few minutes later, I, I got the tap on the shoulder. It was him like, yeah, I don't want any of that out. <laughs> I was like, all right, bud, I'll, I'll cut you some slides. It's like a professional courtesy. Like you need to get that off your chest. I get it. Like I'll give you a mulligan, which in, in our industry, sometimes you do that, right? Oh, like yeah. to build a relationship with players. You're definitely going to give them some rope like that. And that was one of those instances where he's a little too honest uh, with his, with his feelings, which he could be from, from time to time, which I love. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's sort of like, you know, it's funny, like he, if he walks away now, it's a bummer, but at the same time, aren't you kind of, I mean, I speaking personally here, I, I got to know what Pavel Zaka can do at center. Like I, yes. I got to know. So there's a part of me that's like, you know what? That's for the best because if you come back over here, the team's not going to be as good. They'll be better with you here, but they won't be a Stanley cup contender. Yep. And you know, it's like, we're kind of just delaying the inevitable here. Right. And, and I feel like for the Bruins, it's almost good to find out if Pavel Zaka can be a second line center, because if you can't, well, you know, he's a good second line wing. So you, now you got to find a center and I think you got to find one anyways, but it'd be nice to know where Zaka fits into the equation here is p- particularly down the middle of the ice. Well, could he even be the first line center? I mean, yeah. is he going to be this season? Like, I think that's like, I, 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 are you of the opinion that I am that we do not see any big move coming, you know, through the rest of the summer training camp? Like, I don't we're, see it. Yeah. We're, we're, we're probably going to see a stretch of, you know, Zaka and Coyle as your top two centers. We'll see what Morgan Geeky can do. And, you know, they're going to see what this looks like with, you know, some talented wingers obviously still there. Some guys that showed us some things in the series against Florida when Bergeron and Krejci were out. Certainly Zaka and, and Coyle look like they're up to the challenge uh, in that playoff series before Bergeron came back. They're up three to one and those guys were playing really well. Um, and, and two solid, like two way players, obviously Zaka's going to get, have to get better in the face-off circle. Uh, they're both going to have to prove that they can, you know, really drive a line more than they have in the past, but they also have Marshan and Pasternak around, you know, to, to help them and to generate the offense and to, you know, do some center like things at times, uh, to create. Absolutely. So like, I'm willing to see what it's going to look like. And I think they're going to until at least a certain point in the season. And then maybe they have to diagnose it and say, we have to get something done. But like the roster that we see right now is the roster we're going to see like at the start of the year or something very close to it without any big moves coming. Yeah. I can't see a big move coming. I I just don't see how they have the capital to pull that off right now. I don't see how they make it work from a salary cap standpoint. Yep. Uh, It really feels like they are entering this year with all these different avenues open. You know, you look at all the veterans they have on expiring contracts if it doesn't get off to a good start, there's a tangible benefit to them trying to recoup some of their assets they've lost. Right. So I think right now, I think that's why I think there's not going to be anything major between now and 
in the start of the season is I think because they're going to look at it and say, we have all these doors open right now for us. Let's not close any until we absolutely have to. Now let's flip that around. Okay. There have been some names that have been highly attached to the Boston Bruins as uh, available centers uh, on the trade market. Um, if they really wanted to go that route, if they decided like they were going to trade Jeremy, Jeremy Swayman, like whatever, like that, there, there are like certain players they might be able to go out and get either now or during the season. Uh, if things really go sideways at the center position, they feel like they have to make a move. Um, the names you hear, Winnipeg, Mark Shifley, Calgary, Elias Lindholm, Edmonton, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Your thoughts on all three of them and a preference or a guy that you think would make the most sense if they were going to go out and make a move just based on who the player is, you know, cap hit what you would have to give up like etc fit all that stuff yeah uh so shifley lindholm and and i'm sorry the third one ryan nugent hopkins uh of the three very interested in elias lindholm not really into the other two um and, and i say that because i think elias lindholm while a left shot is the closest thing you can get to patrice bergeron yes on the open 100%. market you know yes. that two-way guy who you know can play with high-end players he can put up points he can win some key face-offs. He was a Selkie finalist uh, two years ago. Yep. A guy that I, I really like his game. I, I think that that's where I would go if I could do it. it. You know, if I'm the Bruins, that's where I'm looking at my cap space and saying, if he hits open market, we're throwing the bag at him. We're bringing him here. Shifley, a little too old for me. He's what, he's 34 years old now? Or he's got, yep. he's, he's approaching, yep. he's approaching yep. his, his mid to uh, mid thirties. And he's one dimensional too. Like he's a very right. offensive guy. Like he's puts up great offensive numbers. He's definitely dynamic offensively. There's no doubt about it, but like, he's not a two way center. Like Lindholm is, that is my concern about him, but I also am concerned about him from the something is rotten in Winnipeg thing yes. as well, yes. where they've gotten like two coaches to be completely exasperated. The last two coaches that have been there, uh, Paul Maurice and, and now Rick bonus, and I have to wonder how much Shifley plays into that and is part of that problem of what's going on there. Yeah. The, and by the way, he's 30, but you'd be buying in basically on his, his, yeah. his back years, if you want to call them that, right. Which is not exactly <laughs> Why would you kind. do that to that Mark Shifley? What did Mark Shifley do to you, Ty? Well, he kind of ruined his own locker room. So maybe he had a couple. Are you going to say know. it's the Matt Bolesky years next? Yeah. Uh, oh, he was you. what? He was like 28. I think when they did that, <laughs> he like was. he was young. I mean, well, you have happened. a soft spot for him. Cause you guys like the same music, right? I mean, there is that there is that, <laughs> uh, no, but no, I, I just think that with Shifley. Yeah. To your point, he's one dimensional. He's not, you know, I'm confident that the Bruins can find an offensive center uh, to play with David Pasternak. They've done a great job of finding guys who can play with David Pasternak. Eric Hall has succeeded with David Pasternak. Pavel Zaka succeeded with David Pasternak. So I'm even not found a winger about... that can play with David Pasternak. Tyler Batuzzi was fantastic with David. Right. So I'm not worried about the offense. What I'm worried about is that two-way game. That's been a staple of their culture, a staple of their contention, I would say, in the last 20 years is, is being able to have that high-end, two-way center so that's why i love elias lindholm that's why i would i would throw a big bag of money at him it's the same reason why you know if he got there i would say throw a big bag of money at andre uh, i'm sorry alexei barkov but he didn't get to free agency so that didn't happen right like those guys i have a soft spot for them and it's probably because of bergeron watching that excellence for as long as i did as long as we did you know it's like you see the value in those kind of centermen right so so of the three that's where i'm going and it's by a wide margin in my opinion 
Yeah, I agree. And I uh, a couple of Winnipeg stations had me on over the last seven to 10 days, whatever it was. And they were asking me, like, who do you think Boston would prefer, Shifley or Lindholm? And I was basically saying the same thing that you're saying now, hands down, Lindholm, two-way center, facsimile of Bergeron, like the closest thing you could find to him of anybody that's going to be available out there. Um, offensively, defensively, 200-foot game. Like, you hear, you know, reasonably good things about him as a person, too, and, you know, who he is besides being a player. So it seems like he fits a lot of the criteria if you're just going to reach, go out and reach somebody in another organization and decide this is the guy that we're going to kind of build around for the next three, four years. And the cap hits really good right now too, right? It would be much easier to make the numbers work this season while you're in salary cap pain uh, before you sign him to a new contract for next season and beyond. Um, and through that big bag of cash at him, you, you'd more likely be able to do it this year because of the lower cap number. But that also brings in uh, Nugent Hopkins is a pretty good cap number too. What if you could theoretically trade Matt Grizzlick to the Edmonton Oilers for Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Would you do something like that? I would do something like that. I mean, would would Edmonton though? And and I think that's kind of where it is. Like because I think you can build a package, but you have to sort of look at it once the package is being built. Of like, okay, now we're it's now it's a three for one. And is this what we really want to do? Like, are we losing enough? Do we have replacements in house to 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 you know make up for that? Like. This is why it feels like a really big year for guys like Fabian Lysel, Mason Lowry. Like if they can take some big strides now, you don't look at Jake DeBrusque and say, you have to pay him six and a half million dollars on his next contract because you got this kid who who's ready to come up, right? Like you have options. So there's just so many things that are in flux right now that I would do that trade. It's a matter of what is the plus plus coming from the Bruins point of view to make that kind of trade happen. Yep. Uh, I but just, I don't, like, but I don't love Nugent Hopkins as like a franchise centerpiece. You no, know what no, I mean? no, no, like, like, no, yeah, no. It, it would be more if you wanted to get back to like coil being your third line center, right. right finding right. somebody, maybe if you decided Zaka, if Zaka comes in and I'll, I'll be honest with you, like, obviously Zaka was like 45% on the faceoff circle clearly needs to do work on faceoffs. He's got Chris Kelly around. That's going to help him. He got to watch between Bergeron and David Krejci last year. You would think, He's going to be able to improve just based on that experience and also just continuing to practice at it. But like, there are so many things watching him all of last year that I really liked. Like I thought he was a pretty good two-way player. I thought he was a very smart player. You know, I thought he did a lot of really intelligent things, but I thought he was a guy that hustled a lot. He back-checked like he did things, not only that, but he's got the great shot. And I think he continues to show if he's playing with good offensive players that he is going to be able to create offensively. Like I saw enough last year to say, maybe this guy can be a a decent number one center. Like he's not going to be a hall of famer. He's probably not going to be an all-star, but he might have bringing enough to the table that you can put him in that position. And he's going to start to flourish as he rounds out like the other parts of him playing center. Cause if like if face-offs are the only thing that's really problematic with him, like you deal with that and hope he gets better. And he probably will. Like, I think that's a skill that you can certainly acquire and get better at. Um, whereas with coil, I, I really think at this point, having seen him as enough as we has, he's going to have stretches where he flashes and plays great. He's going to have stretches where he looks dominant, physically fast, can finish off offensive plays. Looks like he's carrying guys on his back and like to the net. And, you know, just looks like a dream player, a franchise center but he can't maintain that for 82 games. And he, you know, he, he does a better job of maintaining it for a playoff run. I think it's easier for him to do that, but he's just not a guy. I think that's going to consistently be a top six center because he has the sort of ups and downs. 
uh, and he can't sort of maintain that level. Uh, so like if you can get another guy that you think is a top six center, maybe a second line center, maybe you think Nugent Hawkins is that guy. Maybe that solves the problem. If you think Zaka is your number one guy. Yeah. And I, I think that's the big question I'd have with Nugent Hopkins is, is he still a center or is he more a wing now? You've well, seen him utilized yes. as a left wing quite a bit in Edmonton. Now that is to be expected when you have Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, but that's something that I'd want to kind of know about him as well uh, before committing to that kind of a, a deal. You know, what's interesting is you mentioned Zaka, you mentioned Coyle. It, it really is going to be, they're going to hope that it just combines into one top center, right? Like, yes. like, and you saw that last year with Coyle on the PK. I thought he had a great year as a penalty killing forward for the Bruins. I thought he, yeah, was, he did. It really, really surprised me. But at the same time, Zaka was getting worked into the PK more than he was in New Jersey. He averaged over a minute of shorthanded time on ice per game as the faceoffs, as you mentioned, game one against Florida. He did pretty good. I think he won almost 60% of his draws. He didn't match that for the rest of the series. But again, you saw it in that game and you're like, okay, if you can get that a little bit more consistently, you got something there. So um, it's clearly going to be, they're going to just hope that they combine to make one top line center for them. Right. And, and so, and you go from there and you see what happens, but yeah, they're going to need one of those guys. Like one of those guys you're talking about, they're going to need somebody like that. And you know, the dangerous game here, Joe, the game that I'm I'm dreading personally, just as someone who wants to see the Bruins add some star power because it makes my job and our jobs a lot more fun when they have yep. star power and when they're an elite team in the league. Yep. Is you have some of these guys are going to be UFAs. Now you have to wait and see if they get there, right? Like Bo Horvat didn't get there. He got traded and signed extension immediately. You yep. know, like that's that that's a dangerous game that is part of this as well. Like, so we're sitting here saying they can't make a move. They, maybe they shouldn't make a move, but how long can they really wait? Like, that's the other part of the game here that I think is really intriguing for the Bruins. It is, and, like, credit Don Sweeney, that's one of the things he's been very good at is targeting and finding somebody that he thinks could be with the Bruins long-term, getting them as a rental, and then signing them to a contract extension and getting them to stay. And that's kind of become something he's he's been very good at. You know, they, they like it obviously didn't work out that way with Bertuzzi, but Hampus Lindholm, Taylor Hall, he's done it in the past where he found guys that he thought might be good fits for them over the long term, even though they're in the last years of their deals. And it's ended up working out. And I think he's they're capable of doing that again at the center position. If it's Elias Lindholm or whoever they've decide uh, could be an answer there. You just hope one of those guys is available to acquire, you know, that's what it comes down to, right. Is uh, they've got to hope that Calgary just continues to, you know, float in the background and, and have an old arena. <laughs> yes. It's like, it's like the, the saddle dome is the greatest thing working for the well, Bruins right now. And, really and have a bunch of players that don't really want to be there. It seems like too, you know, right. like, like continue to hope that that's uh, the case and it's turning into like Buffalo West out there slowly, but surely. Um, and, and that somebody's going to be able to, to slide in and be that guy. Cause they, you know, as we've talked about before, they don't have any prospects that you think are going to step in and, and be a top, certainly not a number one center and maybe even a top six center. You know, I like Poitras. I like what he did in development camp, but I, you know, he's a 19 year old kid that's still going right. back to juniors. Like we'll, we'll see on him. Like we thought Jack Stadnika was, was going to be fantastic a couple of years ago. And, you know, we it, thought it, JFK it, was Bergeron 2.0, you know, like, like Baca Carlson. That is a name I have not heard in a long time. A long right. But that's what it, I mean. That's what it is. Like, like you don't sure. want to put the, the the weight of the franchise on some of these kids when they haven't even started the pro game yet. I mean, 
you know, it, but I think that, you know, I, I think what's interesting here about this, this topic, and we're going to talk about this more and more as the year goes on, I'm sure. But I firmly believe that the future of Cam Neely and the future of Don Sweeney is dependent on getting this top yes. high end center. And yes. so that's why I think that people are, are looking at this saying, oh, they have nothing. They have nothing. No, no. They're going to get something because their jobs depend on getting something. So right. it's just a matter of who it is and if it's the right fit. And so that's why I think this this search is, you know, we have our names right now. I'm curious how many more names are, are in there. You know, how many more names are on their wall right now where they're saying this guy could be this, this guy could be that. Like, oh, yeah. there's a what, lot what, of big what Dimitri Orlov slash Garnett Hathaway name is like rolling around in there that nobody has mentioned at all. There's, there's definitely going to be a couple of those. The, right. there's no question about it. Uh, Ty, I would like to thank you for coming on with us and note for the record that Victoria Von Doom, as soon as she jumped behind you, immediately turned her back to me and to, to the camera and wanted none of this uh, Pucks with Hags podcast. She was all set looking out the window. Yeah, she's on. She's uh, she's currently at Castle Doom right now. She's she's <laughs> looking over her land. Uh, so. So, yeah. So it's a nice standing over, over Catveria as we speak. Yes, exactly. Catveria is alive and well. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm going to use that now forever. You can, thank you. you. Thank you. You can, you can have that one, Ty. All right. And, uh, let, let's also thank our uh, sponsors, FanDuel. Uh, sportsbook football season's about to kick off and uh, you go to fanduel.com slash boston and start earning bonus bets with america's number one sportsbook and let's also thank factor meals america's number one ready to eat meal kit as i said before i am a client not just a pitch man this is delicious ready to eat food in less than two minutes in the micro ty anderson thank you very much for coming on with us let's do this again a, a little later down the road Absolutely. Anytime. I'm always, I'm always around unless I'm not, but I'm always around. So we got, (laughs) we got that going for us. I am in that same boat. Unless I'm doing something, uh, driving one of my kids somewhere and being the Uber driver, just like Patrice Bergeron. I am also around. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. I'll see you at the ring.